Look to Jesus, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. The Passion of our Lord, according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with the disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Judean police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they took Jesus to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Judeans that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it, warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Judeans come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it 
And at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Judeans replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Judeans? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Judean, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Judeans. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Judeans again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Judeans? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Judeans answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Judeans cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at the place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Judeans, 
Here is your king, they cried out. Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to the place that is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Judeans read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Judeans said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothes they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. I've said or written it a few times already this year, but it bears repeating one last time. We are too quick to rush past this Good Friday and skip ahead to Easter. It's a dark day, but that darkness is part of the story. And Think back to where we started, back on Christmas, we considered how the faintest flicker of a flame will shine through darkness if the darkness is pervasive enough. I mean, that's the thing about darkness. It is not itself a force, but rather the absence of light. If it were a force and light and darkness were competing, it would be a, a paradox that the more overwhelming the darkness becomes, the brighter the smallest light seems. And Jesus is the light of the world. No matter how dark it gets, that light will always shine through. But again, darkness is not itself a force, but the absence of light. And we might in turn use that reality as a way to think about what the darkness often represents as a metaphor. At least in some sense, evil 
is not so much a force, but the absence of good. And the passion embodies that very idea. It is the pinnacle example of the absence of good. It is a day in history that is marked by hyperbole, the most innocent man punished in the most horrific way. He was arrested, humiliated, abandoned, tortured, mocked, and executed, and he didn't deserve any of it at all. If any circumstances have ever befallen a person that better summarized the power of evil and darkness, this was it. So too, it was a day in history in which goodness seemed utterly absent. Christ himself up on the cross recalled the words of Psalm 118, which included that triumphal entry, but also these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who knew things no ordinary person could, who was the word of God made flesh, God in human form, suffering amidst the darkness, dwelling in this utter absence of good, cries out to the heavens, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you left me alone? Why did you abandon me? God the Son crying out to God the Father in the same moment, the pinnacle of humanity crying out into the darkness. Do I even exist? And that sounds a little strange, but hear me out. The Father and the Son are one, sharing the same nature, two persons of the triune God. It's something like God in the flesh, lamenting unto God's self that God has forsaken God. Jesus' humanity and the pressing in of evil and darkness were enough to cause that kind of doubt to come from Jesus' lips. Is it any wonder that hardship causes so many of us to lose hope or lose faith? If Jesus himself was brought to such a brink, it would take far less to throw most of us over the edge. And throughout Lent, we have again been called to repentance. We've been made aware of our mortality, our frailty, our sin, our inability to save ourselves, our utter needfulness and unworthiness. When we take that harsh reality seriously, it's a pretty dark time of the year. And the church uses Lent to remind us of that darkness during a time which hopefully we may be safe. See, it gives us a chance to, uh, to reflect and repent, to, to do it better and get it right this time. Life has a way of throwing dark days our way that will cause us to repent just by circumstance. And Lent helps us get ready for that. Our traditions are supposed to equip us for whatever comes our way. And then Lent culminates in this. Jesus himself wasn't safe. The Son of God was brought to agony by our sin. The Messiah was crushed and consumed by the darkness. That darkness taking the light and sputtering it out. If you don't feel the weight of that, just try to. That may mean thinking back to when things were worst, some of your own dark days. And if you do feel that, the weight of all that, hold it for a moment, for a while. We won't dwell here in this darkness for too long, but we must, if only for a day or two or three. 
Because while the dawn awaits right around the corner, contemplating Christ crucified, dwelling in the darkness, looking to the tomb prepares us for our dark days. And finally, it serves as a stark reminder of what this world is like in the absence of good. When good people stand by, the innocent suffer. When God's people are quiet or idle, hunger, pain, and shame thrive instead. We have to face that potential world, the kind of world in which things like the crucifixion happen, maybe all the time, the kind of world in which evil reigns and the innocent are victims. We have to face it as our possibility so we don't let it become our reality. We cannot be complacent with the darkness. We cannot become numb to the suffering of others. We must not sit idle or silently when the innocent are convicted or the helpless are killed where they ought to be safe. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. We must not let our light be overcome either. Amen.